The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Verse 8, more than that, I, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, that is, obeying the commandments, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Notice that. That used to puzzle me. Why does he talk about the fellowship of his sufferings after his resurrection? We have fellowshiped in his resurrection, and now we're fellowshipping in his sufferings, which is like we, we, look, we saw before in the book of Philippians. It's the sufferings that we go through as we take the gospel to the world. But then he says in verse, verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and fellowship of suffering, being conformed to the, his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now what he means by that is we have died in Christ, we've been buried in Christ, we've been raised in Christ. And he says, I want to live this resurrection life, which is, which is what he's talking about is while I'm still living here on earth, I want to live as though I am alive to God. I'm dead to sin and alive to God. And then he says, not that I've already obtained it. I haven't already become in this state, but I'm, I'm moving towards it. Be- I haven't become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ. Christ laid hold of me. He took hold of me in order to do this work in my life, that I might live alive to God before the living God in this world. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, that word perfect there in this context means mature. We've grown up in the faith. We've grown up as Christians. We're, we're, we, we have experienced spiritual growth in Christ. He says, let us therefore, as many as are mature, have this attitude, this mindset, this way of looking at life. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. You know, it's a wonderful thing to know that you don't have to convince people of anything. When you talk to fellow believers and you're sharing something that God has caused you to see clearly in Scripture and they don't see it, don't worry about it. If it's true, God will open their eyes as well. You don't have to twist their arm. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. In other words, let me live on the level of growth I've experienced. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the same pattern that you see in us. For many walk, of whom I have told you, and until you're now weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And what he's saying is don't follow the example of them. Don't make them your mentors. Make someone your mentor who is like Paul, he says, who lives like he does, who came to call everything in life loss in comparison to the ultimate value of knowing Christ. Who's, he says, these are those whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, quite literally, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven. The word citizenship is politics. Our citizenship is in heaven. And, you know, we have a, 
we have a God who rules over all. We have a Savior who is the King of the kingdom of God. And I can guarantee you, he doesn't need your help. He wants you to trust him. Put your faith in him. Our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has, that he has even to subject all things to himself. The power that he has to transform this world into what it ought to be is the same power that he uses to conform you to his image the power of God at work in the life of his people. And then verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Now I want you to to notice something. The goal of Paul's message is found here in verse 1 of chapter 4. In other words, this is where he wants to bring us to in in this section of his letter to the Philippians. In this way stand firm in the Lord. And then we should ask, in what way? In this way, stand firm in the Lord. Now, you all probably know that the Bible is really clear about the fact that every believer is in Christ. It says it over 150 times in the New Testament that we're in Christ. And he wants you to stand firm in him. And so that's his... That's is what he's trying to get across to them. He says, and in this way, and so we should ask, in what way? In the way he described in the verses we just read in verses 12 through 21. And there are three things I want you to see and actually remember in this passage about how we are to stand firm in the Lord. These are the things that we have to have in our life. The first is you have to guard your thinking with diligence. And now that's my phrase, but it's just a a way of describing what he says. Have this attitude. The word attitude would best be translated mindset. Now, you may not use that term mindset, but it's used all over in the Bible. It's, it's used of a worldview, of a way of looking at things. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says, I look at every person that I ever look at, I look at them through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ, the lens of the cross. Christ has died to p- bring people into relationship with the holy God. He died and was buried and resurrected so that we would, he would deal with our alienation from God. After all, this is what the Bible teaches so clearly, you were created for a relationship with God, and you will never find fulfillment in life until you have that. And that's why Christ came. He came to remove the alienation between us and God. Now, you know what alienation is. Alienation is when you have a problem with another person and all of a sudden there's this big distance between you and you don't really talk like you used to. I'm sure some of you have people like that in your life. There is this distance between you. It's because there's been an offense. Now what that word means, it means somebody has taken something you have done to be an offense and therefore they've moved away from you. That's what happened between us and God. We offended God by the fall, by living in total insurrection against the God who created us. And he sent Jesus to remove that alienation, that offense. And that's what he did on the cross. So Christ came into the world to remove this alienation and bring us back into a right relationship with God. And so what we have to do is we have to maintain a mindset that looks at life through the lens of what Christ has done. You know those people that you cluck your tongue at and think, man, I couldn't stand to be around that person. 
Those people, that particular group of people drive me crazy. And if somebody moves in next door to you and they're one of those people, then you're all up in arms about it. Well, guess what? What God wants you to do is have this mindset. Jesus Christ died for sinners. God desires all men to be saved, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And therefore, instead of me looking at people as enemies, I'm to look at them through the cross. Does that mean they're okay outside of a relationship with Christ? No, it doesn't mean they're okay. But it does mean that you want them to be okay. You want them to come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be reconciled to God. And so that's the mindset that you have. That's the attitude. And so he says, maintain this attitude, the attitude of the truth that you have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, not based upon your works, not because you live a certain way and you don't do certain things. You know, Christians have the, the dirty 12, the filthy five, the nasty nine. There's certain things that different groups of Christians have that you never do that. And if you see somebody doing it, you would just assume they don't know God at all. But the thing that has alienated us from God is our offense. We have, we have committed insurrection against God, and Jesus has come into the world to reconcile us to God. And so what you want to do is to look at everybody in your path, everybody in your path. In fact, think of the worst person in the world right now that you know. God wants you to look at that person as one that Christ could save. You know, there are some people in the world that no Christian around the world is praying for. Did you know that? There are people living in this world that are far from God, and there's not one person, not one member of the kingdom of God who is calling their name out to God. And maybe he put them in your path, not to irritate you, but for you to pick up that role of interceding for them, that their eyes would be open to the glory of the gospel. And they would come to faith in Christ and be renewed and restored and reconciled to God. And so he says, keep this attitude. I'm to maintain this attitude that I have been made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. In order that I might walk a life, live a life of resurrection life. That is, that I'm acting alive to God. In the sixth chapter of Romans, Paul goes to great detail. He goes into great detail about the fact that I need to understand that because I've been joined to Christ, I died with Christ. I was buried with Christ, and I was resurrected with Christ. And therefore, I'm dead to sin. It's no longer my master, and I'm alive to God. And, and then Paul says, now act like it. Stop presenting yourself to sin as though it were your master. He's talking about sin as a power. And present yourself to God because you're alive to God. That's the attitude we're to have. If I have, if this is the mindset that I have, that I look through the lens of the cross at all of life, I'm fulfilling this that Paul says is absolutely necessary if I am going to stand firm in the Lord. Standing firm in the Lord is really important. In fact, back, since we're in Philippians, look at the book right before that in chapter 4 of Ephesians, and notice what he says. He's talking about uh, Christ having been raised from the dead and so forth. And then he says in verse 11, And as he ascended to the Father, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as teachers, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service in the building up of the body of Christ. So why is that important? 
Well, listen to this. Until we all attain, all those in the church attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. He's talking about the church being mature to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, that we would all come to spiritual maturity. He says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, that is of teaching, that blows through the church by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. There is so much bad doctrine, bad beliefs that are perpetrated in, in all of our, every way we have to perpetrate stuff, like all, the, all of the, the communication that you get. You can go online, you can watch TV, you can do all of those things, and you're going to hear all kinds of beliefs that can get you off track. They blow through the church all the time. And so he says, I want you to come to maturity, and that's why he gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Why is that? So the church could come to maturity. And as the church comes to maturity, it keeps us from being blown by every wind of doctrine that comes along. So this is a problem for us to stand firm in the Lord, to keep our footing, to not to be blown off course. This is what he's talking about. I want you to learn to stand firm in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to, to live according to the maturity that God has brought into your life and be consistent. Now, this message is for me because I can tell you this has been so convicting. Isn't it amazing how easy it is for us to be living the Christian life and then to get blown off track and start thinking that something is more important than the most important thing in life in me having a relationship with Christ and walking with him? Now, so that's, that's the purpose of this message, to, that we would come to stand firm in the Lord. That's what Paul is saying. And then he says here that we have to guard our thinking, and that's what he's talking about, guarding our thinking, is having the right mindset, the right attitude, the right way of looking at things. The word attitude means a lot of different things. If you look it up on, on Google, <laughs> you'll find that it depends on the context you're using it in. If you're talking about the attitude of an airplane, you're talking about how is it lined up in the direction that it's going. If your plane is going like this, there's something wrong with the attitude of that plane. But what he's talking about with attitude is mindset. It's actually the word for mindset, way of looking at things, worldview. This is how I see life. Do I ever look at somebody that God's brought on my path that seems like somebody I want to avoid? Have I ever seen them as someone who needs Christ? And and do I understand that I am in Christ? I'm in Christ. I have been baptized into Christ, Romans 6 says. And therefore, because I was baptized into Christ, I was baptized into his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I'm alive to God. So why are there moments when we act like we're dead to God? Do you know what that means? Maybe you husbands and wife will understand this better, but you know how it is sometimes in your home that you're acting like you're dead to the other person? What I mean by that is you act as they're not even there. You just go about your business because you want to prove to them that you don't need them at this moment because you're angry with them. Well, if we live our Christian life as though we're dead to God, 
and not alive to God, we're going to have all kinds of problems. And this is the mindset that we're to have. We're to have a mindset of being alive to God. In fact, that's exactly what Paul says. I want you to count yourself to have died in Christ and have been resurrected and alive to God. So stop presenting yourselves to sin as those who are slaves of sin. I don't, do some of you, anybody here remember that movie? I, I was thinking I knew the name of it, and now that I said it, I don't remember. It'll come to me in about 10 minutes, it would be too late. But there was a movie about this group of people who wanted to escape from the east, from the eastern bloc. And so they finally built a balloon. I think it was called the balloon. That's what the movie was. And they got in this balloon, and they, they were able to get up in the air, and they were blown over to the west, over the Berlin Wall. So they were, in, they were in a sphere of freedom. What if those people had set up camp right outside the wall? And because they were so used to, to following the orders of those who were their slave drivers on the other side of the wall, what if every time they heard them give a command, they automatically did it? This is what Paul is saying. You need to wake up and realize you're not, a, you're not alive to sin any longer. You're alive to God. And he wants you to live with your ear trained to his voice through his word. I'm not telling you to hear. You never know if what you hear and you think it's God speaking to you. You never know if it's God or if it's uh, some pizza you just ate. But you can be sure, you can be absolutely sure that this is the very word of God. And this is why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, whoever prophesies has to prophesy in consistency with this book. It has to be consistent with the message of this book. You get it? Amen. Okay. <laughs> and so we have to guard our thinking. We have to maintain an attitude, maintain a mindset, a way of looking at all of life, which in turn leads to a way of behaving. Belief always produces behavior. You act because you believe certain things, right? And so what we have to do is believe the truth. And this is what he is saying to maintain this mindset, this attitude. The second thing he says is you have to choose your mentors with some discernment. In verses 17, in verses 17 through 19 in, in Philippians 3, if you go back there, he says, Brethren, join in following my example. In other words, look at me as a mentor. You know, if you took a new job and you never had done this thing before, they would hook you up with somebody who knew how to do the job, a mentor. And he would mentor you. He would show you what you were supposed to do. And so Paul says, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us, that we live our life in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so he's telling them, you need to have mentor, a mentor or mentors. Now, mentors are those that you look to and because you know they how, know how to follow Christ. I want to follow them. I want to watch and see how. How do we learn how to do anything in the Christian life? I, I've discovered a long time ago that what happens a lot of times is most of us, the majority of us, grew up in a Christian home. So we saw our parents. We saw how they walked with Christ, how they prayed how they lived their life, how they fellowship with other believers. What if a person didn't grow up in a Christian home? They come to faith in Christ. 
How are they going to learn how to do all that Christ commanded? That expression is out of Matthew 28. What did Jesus say to do? He said, you're supposed to teach them. You, believers, you're supposed to teach those who come to faith in Christ how to obey his commandments, not just to obey them. It isn't you just say to them, okay, now you're a Christian, so start obeying Christ's commandments. First thing the guy should say was, what are they? What are these commandments? So we have been called to show them how to obey these commandments. How does a Christian man love his wife? We're supposed to live in such a way that somebody could say, that's how you do it. That's what a mentor is. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is showing someone by example that they could follow you and they could see what it's like to follow Christ, to obey Christ, to live according to Christ. And it's what all of us have experienced in the Christian life. We have seen people who walk with Christ, and we have followed their example. That's having a mentor. And so he's telling us that we should choose our mentors with discernment. In other words, open your eyes. Don't follow somebody who isn't following Christ. Don't make someone your mentor who is continually bombing out in the Christian life. They're fleshy, and they don't know how to walk with Christ. They probably were never mentored themselves, never discipled themselves. So he says, choose your mentors wisely. This is kind of interesting because what we think of is the mature Christians, you're supposed to go after these young Christians and make them follow your example. But Paul says, no, you young Christians should look and find those whom you can follow because they're living for Christ. And you can tell real quick, just listen to a little bit of conversation. What's the conversation about? What are the words used? How do people talk about Christ? And you can tell who it is who has matured in the faith and is walking with Christ. And so find yourself those that you can emulate, those that you can follow. This is, this is necessary for us to be able to stand firm in the Lord. I have to get some godly examples that I have. I, I, make a, I join a relationship with them and I begin to follow their example. I was a junior in college I had been mentored before this because I grew up in a Christian home. I had all kinds of Christian examples. But when I was a junior in college, I met a guy, uh, and he was he's, actually he's about a year younger than me, but he became a mentor to me. I began to follow his example. I began to ask him questions. And he was like a radical disciple, kind of crazy. You know, he prayed way too much. He would pray for hours and hours and hours, stuff like that. But I, what I, I knew that this was a guy that if God would give me a relationship with him, I could learn to follow him as I ought to. And so he became a mentor to me. And I followed his example. That's what Paul is talking about. That's what discipleship is. And this is a responsibility of us as believers to find mentors that we can follow. That we can see how I'm supposed to be living this Christian life. I was reading a, a book last week I've read before, but I got involved in it, uh, The Insanity of Obedience. You remember the book Insanity of God? They made a movie out of it. Then there's a following book called The Insanity of Obedience. And the way this book was written is the students of this guy, who, uh, this guy, his name is Ripken, he had uh, 
He had gone to Somalia, spent six years trying to do mission work. When he got there, 150 people were believers in Somalia. When he left, there were five. And his son died, and he was so discouraged, he went home, and his students back at the college where he taught said, you know what you should do? You should go travel around the world and interview persecuted Christians. Because this guy couldn't figure out, why did God allow these Christians to be so persecuted and killed? The reason there was only five left was the 145 were killed. And so they said, why don't you travel and talk to some people who are under that kind of persecution and find out what God is doing in their lives? And so he did. And he wrote a book called The Insanity of Obedience. It's an easy read. You should read it. And in that book, there are some stories, some amazing stories. But one of them I got to share with you. It's so funny. I thought um, it's it was uh, it was he heard this these women speaking to other women at a meeting of 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 women who loved the Bible and wanted to follow wanted to follow Christ and to serve Christ. And now I can't find it here, so I'm just going to tell it to you. Probably a lot of inaccuracies in this, but this woman was talking to these other women, and she said. You know, God is so good. What God has done is he's appointed the men to be leaders in the churches because there are mixed groups. So the men are supposed to take lead in the church. But he left the entire world for us to go into all the world and take the gospel. He said, isn't God wonderful? And they all said, yes. I thought, what a perspective. It's some big deal because you can't, Women can't preach in the church, and you think, why can't they? Well, because the Bible says that they're not supposed to. And so we just follow what the Bible says. But we fully understand there's a lot of women who do a much better job than we could. It's just that God has ordained that men have to take the responsibility to provide leadership in the church. But then there's the whole world. The whole world. Think of that. I mean, my wife knows a whole lot more people than I do. And everybody likes her. They don't like me, necessarily. (laughs) And so she has all kinds of opportunities to talk to people and show people an example of what it's like to follow Christ. But in this same book, he talks about suffering that you just wouldn't believe, amazing things that took place. And here's what got the guy. All these people were full of joy. He met with some house church pastors in China once at a meeting that he got smuggled into. And every one of those pastors had been in prison. Every single one of them had served time in prison. I got a guy coming, hopefully the last Sunday of this month is going to give his testimony to us. I've, I've heard him and uh, he said, I toured California, but I did it in an unusual way. I toured it through the prison system. I was a prisoner in every prison in California. (laughs) And his brother was praying for him. This guy was a bad guy, and he deserved to be in prison. But his brother was praying for him, and his brother's friend. They were praying for him every day. They met just to pray for him, that he would come to faith in Christ. And he's one of those guys that got saved in prison. In fact, at his baptism... It was a public baptism over at Valley Bible Church. And so he's being baptized. And this guy comes into the church, just visiting, just kind of wandered in, didn't know what was going on. And, and then he hears this guy give his testimony, and he goes up front, and he says, I've got to share something with you people. 
I've been praying for this guy for 10 years. I know I was a, his brother's best friend, and we prayed together for 10 years for his salvation. And I had no idea he had ever gotten saved. And here he hears him give testimony, bear testimony of the fact that God had reached down into that prison and saved him and brought him into his family. And he's been walking with Christ ever since. There used to be a pastor in Brentwood that I met and talked with, and, I, and he gave me one of his tapes of a sermon. And he was encouraging his congregation about their jail ministry. He says, I really wish that everybody in the church would get involved in this. We go to the jail once a week, and we do this and that. And he says, and I want you to know something. Our future elders and deacons are going to come out of jail. That's where they're going to come from. Because he was absolutely convinced that God would save people in those circumstances and that they would end up becoming the leaders in the church. I don't know if that ever happened, but I thought, what a perspective. You mean God can actually save people that you don't like? Could he actually reach down and, and take a person out of the pit and save them? And you thought, that's the last guy in the world that would ever come to faith in Christ. Well, what we have to do is we have to, uh, we have to follow the example of those who are following Christ. And you, if you're a believer who doesn't have a mentor, I want to I encourage you. And, if, and unless you're a spiritual giant and somebody, you need to be somebody else's mentor. But if you, need, if you need someone to show you how to walk with Christ in an effective way, look for mentors. Approach someone and say, could we, could we meet once a week or so and just talk about the Christian life and look at the Word together? Could I start following your example? I'll tell you what, it'd scare most of you half to death, wouldn't it? If somebody said, hey, would you be bothered if I started following your example? I want to learn how to pray. I want to learn how to witness. I want to learn how to have a quiet time. I want to learn how to walk with Jesus. Might revolutionize your life if somebody said that to you, huh? And so that's what Paul says. Get yourself a mentor. And then, and then he says, uh, the, the third thing that he says, if, let me move this along, is embrace your future with joyful hope. What is your future? If you don't know what your future is as a believer, you need to find out because it's as clear as can be. It's all over the New Testament. Is that you are going to be raised from the dead and you're going to go into the presence of God and you're going to come back probably unless, unless the, you're, so, you're so young that maybe you're going to be alive when Jesus comes and you'll be caught up and then you'll be brought back to this earth because the kingdom of God is coming to this world. I don't know if you, you listened to that passage in Hebrews 12. The new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem is coming back to earth. The people of God, you're going to live on this earth, only it's going to be renewed and restored, and it's going to be perfect. There's going to be peace. Things are going to be the way they're supposed to be because Christ is going to be reigning. And we're going to come into this and experience this kingdom. And so we're to embrace our future our, with joyful hope. One of the things that uh, Jude says in that little tiny book of Jude, one chapter, in about verse 20, he says, what you must do, believer, is you must keep yourselves in the love of God. What he means by that in its context is you have to live in such a way that you're experiencing the benefits of the Father's love for you. God loves you 
far more than you can imagine. And he has plans for you. And so Jude says, you have to keep yourselves the love of God. And here's the way to do it. He's talking to a group like you. He says, first, you have to be building each other up in the most holy faith. That is talking to one another about what God has revealed in Christ. And then you're going to have to be praying in the Holy Spirit together. And finally, you're going to have to be rejoicing together about the coming of Christ and our future. Jesus is coming to bring us into the very presence of God. And we're going to live in his presence for all eternity. His presence is going to come back to the new earth, but we're going to live in his presence forever. It's hard to imagine, isn't it, that you're going to be conformed to the image of Christ? Isn't that hard to believe? It's hard for your wife to believe, but it's true. This is what, this is what he's doing. And so he says that we have to embrace our future this future promises that we have. The word hope means this. This is a a definition that's found in Colossians 1. Hope is an earnest expectation of the promise of God. You know, some people promise you things and you have have no confidence whatsoever that they're going to do what they say, that they're going to fulfill the promise. But then there's God. And all of his promises are yes and amen. We can say, absolutely, I believe this. You're going to do it. And so what, we're, what hope is, is hope is earnestly expecting God to fulfill his promises. So his promises, you're going to be caught up. You're going to enter into the presence of God. You're going to be like Jesus Christ. What does 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 say? What foreign kind of love is this that we should be called the children of God? And we are. Even though it hasn't appeared yet what we shall be, when we see him, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. You see, this is, God, this is God's love. And, and when John says, what foreign kind of love is this? Man, I don't know any kind of love like this among people, but this is the love of God. And what he has done, he's made us his children. He's brought us into the family. He's our father. And so he sent us the spirit to so convince our heart that we, when we pray, we can say, Abba, Father. That's the influence of the Spirit of God. And God sent the Holy Spirit into your heart to keep you convinced of his glorious love for you. And so Paul is saying here, embrace your future hope. And he says says it in two ways. He says, first of all, enjoy your heavenly citizenship now. In verse 20, the first part of verse 20. You're citizens of heaven. You already have been, by, because you have believed on Christ, you're citizens of heaven. And then secondly, eagerly wait for your Savior. He's coming. You still have a little work that God needs to do in your life? How many of you still have some? Yeah, there's four honest people in here. Oh, there's more. Still work to be done, huh? Well, he's going to do it. And so what John is saying is, this is amazing. We are the children of God. And yet, we don't look like it. I got to be, in all honesty, you don't look like it. But you are. And he says, we're going to be transformed when we see him. We'll be like him. And so this is what Paul is saying. If you want to stand firm in the Lord, you got to keep your hope You've got to keep your hope set upon the promises of God. Don't hope 
in anything in this world. People will make all kinds of statements, all kinds of claims, and you know they come and go, and, and we think we can set our hope on this guy, on this, maybe this financial planner, this politician, whatever. No, set your hope in God. He's made you promises about the future. Believe those promises. And so the way we could summarize this whole thing is this, that we are to stand firm in the Lord by guarding our thinking, that is keeping the right mindset, by having godly mentors, and you have to get them, you have to attach yourself to them, and then by experiencing hope, living in hope. That is living in the promises of God. This isn't wishful thinking. Hope in the Bible doesn't mean wish. Hope in the Bible means you earnestly expect God to fulfill his promises to you about the future. So here's the summary. Standing firm in the Lord involves your mindset, the way you're viewing reality, having mentors who actually walk with Christ and follow Christ, and you can see it in the way they live, and hope, fixing your hope on the promises of God. Is that simple? There you go. You can memorize that so easy. Mindset, mentors, and hope. Say that with me. Mindset, members, mentors, and hope. I said members. Mentors. I, I, what I was thinking about, this, uh, this Chinese pastor heard an American talking about how, many, how God had brought revival to China. And he was throwing numbers around of how many Christians are in China. And so this guy was a Chinese house church pastor. And he said, could we, could we go have a meal together? I'd like to talk to you. He said, okay. He said, I just want to tell you, I don't think your figures are right. He said, what do you mean? He says, there aren't that many followers of Christ in China. And he goes, well, I was, I was actually using a very uh, low end of the numbers. I've been told it's far more than that. He goes, no, let me explain to you. We have that many members but he said, a follower of Christ is somebody who has led another person to Christ. And there isn't that many. You know what that did to me? It shook me. Imagine if we put on your membership application, have you led anyone to Christ? And if you said no, he said, well, we can't take you in as a member because you're not yet a follower of Christ. You have to lead someone to follow Christ. Now, I know that could be very legalistic, and, and I'm not saying that, but isn't it amazing they have that mindset? This is the normal Christian life. There's a little book called The Normal Christian Life written by a Chinese pastor from back in the 30s or 40s. The Normal Christian Life. You read that book, you could probably get, download it from the internet. You read that book and you think, this is normal? Oh, I, I thought this was radical. You, you know that book, Radical, by David, by, who was that? Not David, it was David Platt? And, and then you hear about, you know, Francis Chan, he's a radical. And this guy, this Chinese pastor said, no, this is normal. This isn't radical. Every single believer has been called as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You know that? That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Every Christian is an ambassador of Christ. What is an ambassador to do? He's a representative of this country. If we send an ambassador to another country, they're to represent the United States, right? So you're here in the world as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Isn't that something? That you're a spokesman for Jesus Christ? 
Well, that means, since God said it, it means he will empower you to actually fulfill that role. Why did he give you the Holy Spirit? Why did he take the time to send the Spirit into this world to live in every believer? Romans 8, verses 9 and 10 says that every single Christian has the Holy Spirit residing in them. Why would he do that? Because he wants to empower you to fulfill your calling and to give you the greatest joy in all of life, the joy of fulfilling exactly what God has recreated you to be, an ambassador of his son. And so stand firm in the Lord. Don't, don't become a flake. Don't become like blown about by every wind of doctrine going here and there. Stand firm in the truth of who you are in Christ Jesus. And start functioning as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Open your mouth and see if God doesn't empower you to speak truth into somebody's life. I'm not talking about standing before a bunch of people. Just a private conversation to tell somebody, this is what happened to me 20 years ago, 10 years ago, yesterday. God worked in my life, and he opened my eyes to the truth of the gospel. I found out that God actually loves me, even though I've been his enemy all my life. I found out that he loved me and that he sent his son to the world to reconcile me to himself. And I put my faith in Christ, and I found out that's exactly what he did. And now I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm a follower of Christ. So stand firm in the Lord by doing these things, by keeping this mindset, by getting you mentors that you can follow in your life, that you can learn how to live the Christian life by watching their example. And then live your life in hope. Set your hope on Christ. Don't set it on anything else. I don't care what they say in the news. The only hope you have is Christ. All I have is Christ. That's it. Our Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Father, for loving us and placing us in the body of Christ and giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for giving us instructions not to be blown about by every wind of doctrine that blows through the church but that we should stand firm in the truth of the gospel, in the truth of who we are in Christ Jesus. And I pray, Father, that you'd give us courage and understanding that you're going to put people in our path, people that we know already. You're going to give, me oppor- you're going to give us opportunity, Father, to talk to them about the reality of who Christ is and what he's done in our lives. Please work in us. I do pray, Father, that you would help us, oh, to have this mindset of seeing everything through the lens of a crucified Savior. I pray that we would have the wisdom to seek after mentors that we could follow and learn how to follow Christ. And I pray, Father, that we would live our life in hope, setting our hope on your promises. Thank you so much for your promises, Father. Thank you for your integrity. Thank you, Father, for your stability. We believe that every promise you have made to us you're going to keep and fulfill. And so we live in hope every day. We thank you for this. And please, as we go, would you empower us to live these things out in our daily life, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.